and welcome to mini episode 161 of Real Life Ghost Stories. And I have five spooky stories for you today. And the last story comes from December the 28th, 2021. And story number one comes from Dakota. My mum was born in Swan Hill, Victoria, Australia. She lived with her brother and her mum and dad. I don't remember her brother's name. He was in a motorbike accident and hasn't talked to us since. It's like he was a completely different person after. When she was younger, her brother's room was being renovated, so he stayed in her room for the time being. They were laying down in separate beds, probably talking about how much they hated each other. Then a man with a large top hat stood in between their beds looking up at the window. He held up his hand like he was smoking a pipe. My mum fell quiet and looked at her brother and whispered, Do you see that? He nodded his head slowly and whispered back, Just be quiet. Then as fast as he appeared, the man left. They didn't sleep that night. The next morning, their mum sat down my uncle and mum and announced that their grandfather had passed after a long battle with lung cancer two nights before. My mum thinks it was her grandfather saying goodbye to her and her brother. A few years later, my great-grand's gorgeous china teacups were in the dishwasher and the next day, when my mum was unloading the dishwasher, she saw that one had broken. Of course she was heartbroken because she made a promise to herself not to break any of them. Later that day, you guessed it, my grandmother called to say that my great-grandmother had passed away. Again, we think it was her saying goodbye to us. We still have the tea set and a beautiful cabinet that my great-grandmother gave us. Whenever I'm in the room where the cabinet is, I hear a knock on the wood and I always say, Hi, Gran. And I just want to remind you all of the petition that I started a couple of months ago to encourage our dead loved ones to try and think of less ominous ways to come back and visit us as they are dying or after they die. I mean, I do fundamentally know that it is lovely to have that experience, but it must be also really traumatising <laughs> as a child to be lying there and be like, do you see that man standing between our beds looking up at the window? And then you just stay quiet until they're gone. I think it just needs a bit more imagination to uh, make it a little less traumatising for the people involved. And there is something so beautifully symbolic about that broken teacup. That's the kind of vibe we need. Something really beautiful, symbolic, metaphorical, that doesn't leave you with outrageous nightmares. And story number two comes from Anna Rose. I have no experience with the Banshee, but what I do have an experience with is like you often describe. I woke up on the morning of February the 9th, 2020. On that morning, I woke up at 3am from a dead sleep and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. My dog was out cold snoring. So was my brother. I checked my CPAP, nothing was wrong with it, and I didn't have to use the bathroom. It took me until about 3.30am to get back to sleep, only to get a phone call from my uncle. He told me my grandmother passed away at 3am. I'm so sceptical about lots of things, like so sceptical. But this is something that seems to be a universal phenomenon, like people waking up when their loved ones pass away or knowing their loved one has passed away before they're told their loved one has passed away. Like, is it just a big coincidence? Or is it that there's some sort of genuine deep energy connection between certain humans and that when somebody passes away, people know about it like I don't I just it blows my mind and I'd love if there was able to be like a genuine scientific study 
into that phenomenon, you know? I mean, I don't know how you'd ever be able to time that or do that. But I know, like, they've done scientific studies into near-death experiences and out-of-body experiences, you know, and the things that people claim to see when those things happen. So it's not like scientists aren't interested in studying how death or near-death impacts us. But surely there has to be some way of studying this phenomenon of people just knowing that someone has died, like this inherent deep knowing of someone else's state of living, you know? Any scientists listening, come on, get the lab coats out. Get the bottles and test tubes and all that stuff and let's get let's get figuring this mystery out. And story number three comes from Anonymous. It was 1997 and I was in my first year of university. I worked in a Japanese restaurant, a first of its kind in Cork. And while the restaurant no longer operates, it did good business in the beginning. They brought in a chef from Japan initially to train the Irish chef. He was funny and a warm man who used to tell us, the waiting staff, that he was psychic and we used to listen to his stories with amusement. He used to always say that there was a ghost of a cat in the restaurant and that it was not very happy that we were there. I did at the time think this was silly and was never scared or put off by this. I really liked working there. One evening during a busy shift, I noticed that there was an object placed in the office of the restaurant. It was covered under a cloth or a sheet of some sort, so I couldn't see what it was, but it was big enough to notice it being placed on the top of the desk. I didn't think much of it during the shift. It was a Saturday night and it was, as I say, very busy. At the end of the night, as we sat around and had our beers, as was tradition after a busy night, the restaurant owner came out with the veiled object from the office and placed it in front of us all. He said that a customer had brought in an unwanted Japanese object as a donation. And as he whipped the cloth off, we all gasped in mutual horror. It was a Japanese doll. It was very old from the look of it, with a purple kimono in tatters, pinned on in parts by safety pins. Its body was bent unnaturally, particularly around its head and neck, so it looked as if it was the corpse of a traffic accident victim. I feel very uneasy even thinking back on this now. And at that time, we all made our excuses and left, as none of us wanted to be in the same room as the doll. That night I got home, feeling unnerved about the doll but exhausted from the busy shift and I got to sleep pretty quickly. But my slumber was to be short-lived, and as soon as I fell asleep I was haunted by a nightmare about the doll, as it had its face up against mine and told me various things that I had done wrong in my life. And as if that wasn't scary enough, I woke up to sleep paralysis with a distinct feeling that the doll was on my chest, continuing the dream in real life. I struggled out of paralysis, and immediately the phone rang beside me, I picked up and there was no one on the other end. It was 3am exactly. This was all too much for me and I ran into my mother's room in a panic and explained what happened, but was dismissed and told to go back to sleep. That night I stayed up watching TV until the morning. The next night I reluctantly went back to the restaurant and told the manager about what had happened. He was buffing plates at the time and he dropped one as I told him the story and he turned pale. He said his phone rang as well, around the same time that night. 
and he showed me the caller history on the mobile phone to prove it. We went into the Japanese chef, and before we could say another word, he said, The doll came to me last night as well and stuck its face right up beside mine and told me off about my life. He could not have known about my dream, but he described it very accurately. The owner freaked out, and the doll was sent to Japan and given a proper funeral by a Japanese Shinto priest. He confirmed that a spirit lived in it that needed laying to rest. I'm not sure whether it was a sinister spirit, as it was angry at me for various things I did to myself. But all the same, it was very frightening and something that I will carry with me for the rest of my life. Several other strange things happened to me since, unrelated to the doll, over a number of years, but it has subsided over the last 20 years. I now have a family, children, a mortgage, a career, etc., so I have normal worries. But listening to your podcast made the memories of that night come flooding back. As for the cat in the restaurant, one evening, as I was buffing cutlery, I heard the distinct repeated meowing of a cat in the restaurant. I ran into the Japanese chef and he said, Ah yes, the cat is going berserk today for some reason. He should calm down soon. I've left some milk out for him. Obviously, 10 out of 10 for a ghost cat. We always approve of a ghost cat around here. Don't approve of some sort of warped Japanese doll haunting everyone's nightmares. Oh look, what are the chances that coincidentally everyone would have the same nightmare? If everyone came back in the next day and said, Oh... That doll really freaked me out and I had a nightmare about it and, you know, in my nightmare it was chasing me and then somebody else came in and said, oh, that doll really freaked me out. I had a nightmare about it in my nightmare. It was, you know, coming back to life or, you know, they all, everybody had different dreams. You'd be like, wow, it must be a really freaky doll that it impacted everybody that much. But everybody having the same dream and then the phone ringing at 3am, then I would be shipping that thing off to be given a proper burial as well. There's no way I'd be keeping that thing around. And I'm not even, like, I'm not frightened of dolls. Not in the slightest. But I couldn't be having that thing around, whispering all the bad things I've ever done in my ear. That's the real horror here. I could take on a doll, you know, I know I could fight a doll and win. But I can't take on a doll who's going to be hurling things at me about all of my uh, past misdemeanours. And strain number four comes from Emily. In 1998, my family and I were living in Bergen in Germany. My dad was a sergeant in the British Army and his posting was in the Hohen Garrison. I was six and my little brother David was around four or five. The town of Bergen is well known because of the concentration camp Bergen-Belsen, which was active during World War II. The concentration camp has an estimation of having around 120,000 people pass through and the death toll at roughly 50,000 between the years 1943 and 1945. One story that I haven't been able to verify on the internet, but I've been told by my parents, is that there was a mass escape attempt from the camp at one point. The concentration camp was surrounded by woods, and the story goes that as prisoners tried to run into the trees, they were gunned down and hundreds were killed. In February, we had a family holiday to Turkey planned for the four of us, me, my brother, my mum and my dad. We left in our car about midnight to go to the airport. It was dark and snowy, and I've been told that it was always quite a spooky place. We drove along from Bergen, passing the garrison, and drove down a road with the Bergen belts in sight on the right through the trees, and on the left more trees and an old train track, 
that had previously taken prisoners to the concentration camp. My brother was sat on the left side of the car looking out the window and asked my parents, who are those people in the trees over there? My mum freaked out and asked, what people? He replied, a lady and some children running through the trees. My parents looked at each other and my dad put his foot on the gas without looking back. I've no memory of this and neither does my brother, but my parents have told this story for years and it's never changed. Obviously, it could have been that David was just overtired and maybe dreaming, but it's strange that it happened in the exact spot the prisoners would have been gunned down. There is no way my brother would have known that and definitely wouldn't have known that was the spot. Make of it what you will, but I still believe it. I met a Holocaust survivor who had been in Bergen-Belsen and survived. And let me tell you, some of the stuff that he said is just completely beyond like human comprehension. It's also, Bergen-Belsen is also the concentration camp that Anne Frank died in. And I do feel like the absolute atrocities that were committed in these places and the the height of human sorrow and fear and desperation that occurred there, like just all day, every day, relentlessly, like it, it has to have made some sort of stain on the energy and the world of that place. And here's the thing, I'm not going to dwell on this because I think places like Bergen-Belsen, Auschwitz, they're just horrific places, horrific, horrific places where the greatest of human atrocities happened. And I don't want to delegitimize that real life horror by being like, whoa, creepy, spooky places. Um, And I'm not for a second, Emily, saying that that's what you're doing, not in the slightest, because I think if I were your parents in that space of time, hearing my child say that, driving through a place where women, children, prisoners, where they fled for their lives and then the child was saying, oh, who are those, who is that lady and those children running through the forest? I think whether you're a believer in ghosts or not, I'd be freaking out too and I'd be thinking this is some sort of echo from the past for sure. And story number five comes from Jory. Let me start by saying this story is somewhat humorous, but at the time I was completely terrified. While going to college, I worked at several assisted living nursing home facilities. I worked day, afternoon and night shifts and I have tons of stories, but one story sticks out the most. For context, I live with my parents at the time and my room was on the opposite side of the house from my parents' room and my parents' room was right next to our back door. In the living room, my mom had a picture of my brother and a picture of myself hanging on the same wall with one decorative wall art above and another below the pictures. At the time, I happened to be on the night shift, so my sleep schedule was all messed up. While working, I was experiencing regular weird occurrences that I chalked up to residual energies from the passing of the residents. I did not even consider that I could have an attachment and be followed home. I was off on this particular night, and up late just messing around in my room. I started hearing this faint noise that sounded like someone messing with the back doorknob. In a typical dumb blonde girl fashion, I went to check it out. Not seeing anything in the house or outside the back door, I grab a small kitchen knife and run back to my room and get under all of my covers. The noise continued. Still carrying the knife, I quickly snuck out of my room, checking for the source. I went through the kitchen, ran past the back door and into my parents' room. I woke my mom up who suggested I slept on the floor in her room. 
Um, no, mom. This room is closer to the demon trying to break into our house. I ran back into my room, still carrying the kitchen knife that was clearly not going to provide much protection from a ghost. The noise continued for a few more minutes that was followed by a crashing sound coming from inside the house. Still holding my useless kitchen knife, I ventured out into the living room, like the idiot I am, to find that my picture, only my picture on the wall with three other items hanging on it, had fallen off the wall. I pulled out the sage, said several prayers and pulled out the holy water and no further incidents. I'm going to start by saying that, Jory, we don't go for the dumb blonde trope in this house, okay? We go for the kick-ass, strong, independent woman who decided that whatever was going on in the house, she was going to check it out. That is what we go for. Admittedly, I do agree a kitchen knife is unlikely to work against a ghost, but we don't know that for sure. We don't know that for sure. The ghost that you were experiencing could have been particularly susceptible to an old kitchen knife. So, you know, you never know. We don't really get stories often of like ghosts kind of following me home or perceived attachments or whatever. But when we do, they tend to be from nursing homes. Like if you think back on stories that we've had about ghosts following people home, they do tend to be from nursing homes. What's that all about? I wonder if you had a connection with a particular client in the nursing home where you were particularly kind to them or they felt a real connection with you and then they follow you home in that regard rather than it being anything negative. And thank you so much for listening to today's mini episode. It is slightly shorter than usual because I had to swap out one of the stories because it was a story that I had told already. So thank you to Dakota, Anna Rose, Anonymous, Emily and Jory for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story came from December the 28th, 2021. We are so nearly in 2022. We are catching up, folks. We are getting there. If you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, including every mini episode and main episode absolutely ad free. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can check out real life ghost stories podcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you next time.